didn't cut out this morning, so I'm using a microphone today, so I'm not used to this. I'll try and remember to hold it close to my mouth. But uh, we are in the book of Colossians this morning, and we're going to jump ahead. I can wait a little bit. We're going to jump ahead. We were in uh, chapter 2 last week, and I was going to try and get the rest of chapter 2 and the first four verses of chapter 3 for this morning. But by the time I was done with all my notes, we had like 35 pages of notes. It's okay, it's not going to happen. But the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I want you to do these first four verses of chapter 3. So that's what we're going to look at this morning. Colossians verses 1 through uh, 4, and uh, we'll do chapter 2 the rest of the Testing, 1, 2, three, no. Darn energizers. And we also, uh, uh, this morning, we're, we're trying to do Facebook Live. And so we're trying to get that for those that didn't want to show up this morning. We got that going. So just be praying that all works up there, Joey. Okay. So with that, let's read Colossians chapter 3, verse, verses 1 through 4. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. The title of my message this morning is Set Your Mind on Things Above. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this opportunity to gather together to be in this place this morning. Knowing You are here, Lord, and You've gathered us for such a time as this that we might hear from You, hear from Your heart, and know, Lord, uh, how we should live, to, to draw closer to you, Lord, to be uh, comforted, to be encouraged, to be exhorted, to be convicted, whatever, Lord, we want your Holy Spirit to reign in our lives this morning. So, Lord, we pray that you speak to our hearts. We commit this time to you. Lord, we pray if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, or, or perhaps are listening to this online, that they don't know you as their Lord and as their Savior, Lord, would you especially touch their heart today and they would come to know you and trust you and uh, be born again today. So thank you for this time, Lord. We commit it to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, most everybody's mind is on this coronavirus. And, you know, we're doing everything we can as a church to make sure we're sanitary and cleaning and disinfecting and, and uh, making sure it's all clean. And, and uh, I also want to say that I know it's a, it's a very, very serious virus. You know, I have two uh, granddaughters at our house with lung issues, and, and uh, I take it very, very seriously, and I'm aware of the dangers of this, as, as well as we all view, you know, these kind of scenarios differently. So I think it's real important that we as a church have grace towards one another and, and kindness towards one another. Yes, it, it, it's very serious. I do not take it lightly. Uh, this we do know God is still in control. None of this has caught him by surprise. Now, with that said, and me being me, I thought I would lighten up just a little bit. I'm not sure why there is a teepee shortage. I'm not sure, but, you know, we had a children's ministry meeting yesterday afternoon, or yesterday, yeah, afternoon, and I was walking out the back door, and, and there was a deal going down in our parking lot. And it was, it was Sarah Potter, and she was, she was a buy-in. She was buying from a dealer, had some toilet paper. I saw it. It's going down in our parking lot, a deal going down, and I said, Sarah, you know what, I need to talk to you now. 
I found a series of memes. You probably have seen them. I thought that might strike us as funny. I think a lot of us have seen this one. This is the toilet paper. It says uh, $3,999 free one carat diamond ring with purchase. Or this one, the toilet paper claw game. Did you know that one? Yeah. This next one I liked. It's of John Travolta. And it says, I don't know if you can read it, John Travolta suspected of having the coronavirus, but doctors now confirm that it was only Saturday night fever. And they assured everyone that he is staying alive. Apparently he was diagnosed because he had chills that's multiplying. We know that Tom Hanks and his wife, Rita Wilson, are stranded down in Australia with the virus. Someone made this meme. Tom Hanks is once again stranded on an island with Wilson. And then this one... uh, I like that one. Quick hide the toilet paper. The humans are out of control. And finally, this one. I don't know if you can read it, so I'll read it to you. This is posted on the grocery store window. Due to the recent outbreak of stupidity and panic, purchasing by complete idiots, the nation is currently experiencing a shortage of toilet paper and common sense. Expect supplies to be replenished once these sheep-minded morons have all starved to death in their homes, surrounded by toilet paper, without anything to eat. <laughs> With all that's going on in this world, with this pandemic, God's Word has the answer for us. And it is found in verse 2 of chapter 3, which says, Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And I would say this, if people were preparing for heaven, as much as they've been preparing for this virus, we would have a whole lot more believers in this world that are ready for heaven. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. How do we do that? Well, two ways if you're taking notes this morning. Number one, we need to live knowing that our home is in heaven. And number two, we need to live knowing that our God can take us home at any time He pleases, at any moment. Number one, live knowing our home is in heaven. Perhaps you remember the story about two uh, elderly men that they had been best friends for years. They lived way up into their 90s, old as Charlie, you know, and, and one of them felt, fell uh, deathly ill. And his friend came to visit him on his deathbed, and they're reminiscing about their longtime friendship when the dying man's friend said, Listen, when you die, do me a favor. I need to know, is there baseball in heaven? Well, the dying man said, Sure, we've been friends for years. I will do this for you. And, and then he dies. A couple of days later, his surviving friend is sleeping when he hears his friend's voice. The voice says, I've got some good news and some bad news. The good news is, there's baseball in heaven. What's the bad news? The bad news is, you're pitching on Wednesday. <laughs> Look now at one of chapter 3. Paul writes, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Better translated, since you were raised, this verb actually means to be co-resurrected. You've been raised with Christ the moment you were saved. Now we know that Jesus took our place upon the cross. We know that he took our punishment for sin upon himself. And when he died and rose from the dead and you trusted him as Lord and Savior, God says at that point, you too died on the cross to sin and that you too were raised in newness of life. You were raised with Christ. Jesus' physical resurrection from the dead assures you of your future physical resurrection. 
So since we've already been raised with Christ the moment we were saved, Paul says, this is what we need to do. We need to seek those things which are above. That word for seek is an interesting word. It, it literally means to keep on seeking. It's a, a constant daily desire. It actually it describes having an urgency and a desire and, a, and an ambition to motivate you towards something. To hear that harder house than Nixa has toilet paper. You're motivated. You're going to get down there right away. And there should be. We should be motivated for heaven. Motivation. There's a story of a young man who took a shortcut home late one night through a cemetery. And as he's walking through this dark uh, cemetery, he fell into an open grave. And he called out and, and no one could hear him. He tried to climb out. It was too deep. He couldn't. So he thought, well, I'm just going to wait until morning. And then maybe someone will, will see me and help me out of this place. Well, a little while, while later, another person came the same route through the same cemetery, taking the same shortcut, and he too fell into the same grave. And he started clawing and, and trying to get out and, and shouting to people as the first guy did. But suddenly, the second guy heard a voice from the corner that says, you can't get out of here. He did immediately. <laughs> wow. Motivation. Paul is telling us to seek the things of heaven with that kind of a intensity, with that kind of urgency, with that kind, that type of motivation. Are you motivated for heaven this morning? Let me give you five things that should motivate us for heaven. First of all, you've been promised a sweet retirement home. John 14 tells us that we have a, a, a mansion being built for us in heaven. No matter where you'd like to retire on this earth, it will not compare to what God has in store for you in heaven. Secondly, your new home is a part of a great heavenly city, the new Jerusalem. It's described in the closing chapters of the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ that it's made mostly of precious jewels, gems, minerals. No shortages, teepee shortages, nothing. I mean, a pure river of water of life that nourishes life that yields incredible fruit. The third thing, and one of the things I think a lot of us are looking forward to, is you get a glorified body. This body that we're in is done away with. The, the corruption must put on incorruption. It's going to be a perfect body, free from any possibility of sin, or, or sorrow, or virus, or death, or sickness. But there's more. Number four, there are people that uh, you have preceded you to heaven. In other words, there are loved ones that knew the Lord, that have gone on before you, that we are going to get to be able to see and, and share and talk with, and that's going to be absolutely very, very cool. But the last thing and the most precious thing of all is Jesus is going to be there. And you'll get to see Him, and you'll get to be with Him fully, and, 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 and know Him fully, and be with Him forever. Those are just five things out of, of so many things that's guaranteed for us. In heaven. I found this poem by Hazel Fellman that describes it well. It goes, think of stepping on the shore and finding it heaven, of taking hold of a hand and finding it God's hand, of breathing a new air and finding it celestial air, of feeling invigorated and finding it immortality, of passing from storm to tempest to an unknown calm, of waking up and finding it home. I like that. Seek those things which are above. It's been said the only people who are truly happy on earth are those whose hearts are in heaven. Paul tells us that. Our citizenship is in heaven from which we so eagerly wait for our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20 Now we should have people saying to us, 
You're not of this world, are you? You're not from around here, are you? No, because we become members of God's family. Our name is written down in the citizens of heaven. This means that we live for heaven. You know, you hear people say, well, you're too heavenly minded. You're, you're no uh, earthly good. I think it's the other way around. Too many people are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. I have found that the most happiest and joyful people and, and the most content people on earth are those that know that their home is in heaven. On the other side of that, those who try to find happiness any other way are perpetually frustrated and disappointed. Now, if it's through possessions, or if I just have these more possessions they purchase, then they're never quite what they're supposed to be. If it's through relationships they form, they're never quite as satisfying as they thought they would be. The dreams that they pursue are never as fulfilling as they hoped they would be. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you, you, you know, you've been all about something, how it's supposed to be, and this is supposed to happen, only to be greatly disappointed. Some big letdown, you know, we, I think we all experience it now and then. You thought, you thought something was going to turn out the way it was, and, and it ended up not, it didn't, and perhaps maybe it's a healing from the Lord, and, and the Lord didn't heal you. Perhaps it's a promotion that you thought you were going to get, uh, and you didn't get it, or, or a job you applied for, and you didn't get it. You thought for sure it was in the bag. Have you ever thought that it just might be because the Lord is trying to show you that it's not all about right here? It's about heaven. And this whole thing with this virus going on, and maybe God is just showing us that, listen, it's not about right here. It's about heaven. Listen, folks, nothing will ever be quite until we realize it's not about here, it's about heaven. You know, the band Switchfoot did this song years ago. It's called Beautiful Let Down. And the words go like this. In a world full of bitter pain and bitter doubt, I was trying so hard to fit in until I found out I don't belong here. I will carry a cross and a song where I don't belong, but I don't belong. It was a beautiful letdown when you found me here. Yeah, for once in a rare blue moon, I see everything clear. I'll be a beautiful letdown. That's what I'll forever be. See, when we really realize and a person finally understands that heaven is where it's at, then he or she is free to enjoy life on this earth. Doesn't matter where you live, doesn't matter what you do vocationally or what kind of car you drive. All of that is irrelevant when you know, listen, this, this life will, will, will soon be passed. Uh, I'm going to heaven. So, live our lives knowing we're on our way to heaven. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God, Paul says in verse 1. We're not to seek the things that are below, but above. What's above? Well, not what. It's who is above. It's Christ sitting at the right hand of God. The right hand of God speaks of authority and power. Jesus is seated in heaven with all authority and all power. Ephesians 1, 20 and 21, we're told Christ is seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also that which is to come. So Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. He's seated in the heavenlies, far above all principalities, all powers with all authority and all power. Now that would basically be speaking of, of, of the angelic range, but in this context here it's speaking specifically of fallen angels, of demons, of Satan's emissaries. Christ is above all of them, all of that above Satan and his demons. You say, well, that's good. They're good for Christ. No, it's good for you. It's good for me because you too were raised with Christ. That means positionally we are with Jesus Christ. Means when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, He put His ID tag on you. He puts His seal upon you. You came under His protection. 
See, the devil would like you to think that you are nothing more than a victim for him to have his way with you. He would like you to think that he can bring you down at will and it's only just a matter of time. So many people walk through life just trembling with fear and worry, knowing that one of these days you're going to go down in flames spiritually. I want you to know this morning that it's just not true. According to the authority of God's word, we are seated in Christ, which means you are not under the power of Satan, but the power of God through Jesus Christ. And according to God's word, 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Like what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 26 and 27, Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? That doesn't mean that we're immune from that temptation. It doesn't mean that we, we can't be attacked. What it does mean, though, is that we, uh, you'll never be overwhelmed. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. It means you'll never be tempted above what you are able. It means there will always be a way out. It means you don't have to give in the worry. It means you don't have to Because you are seated in Christ and you have more power than you'll ever need to, to live in victory. So stop living in fear and start living like a child of the king. Start walking in the power that God has given you and realize you are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. So set your mind on things above, not on the things of earth. Set your mind on Christ. Focus on him, his goodness, his glory, strength, and power. Notice to set our minds on the things above is a constant and deliberate act of our wills that we have to practice. I mean, think about how easy it is just to think, set our minds on the coronavirus and to find ourselves in fear all the time, not knowing what's going to happen. It's with that same persistence we need to set our minds on the things of heaven. But I think we all know that it's easier said than done, because every day the world seeks to distract us. I think uh, the things of this life have a way of consuming us so that we really uh, get focused, easily focused on worldly things. I read a story about a, an, a, an economist, economist, I guess you, you pronounce it, uh, and uh, she was speaking to a group of business people about the recession, and she tacked up on a board a big sheet of white paper. She then put this black spot in the middle of this white paper with a pencil and asked the man in the front row what he saw. And he responded right away, I, I see a, a black spot. Then the speaker asked the same question to all the room, and they all replied, yes, yes, there's a little black spot. Then calmly and deliberately, the, the speaker replied to all, yes, there is a little black spot, but none of you mentioned the big sheet of white paper. And that's my speech. As Christians, we can suffer from the same problem. All we see is that, that little black spot, life responsibilities, the, the bills to pay, the problems to fix. Focus on the car and, and the house and the relationships, our health and all, they, all that and it has a way of consuming our lives. When in comparison to heaven, it's nothing. There's just a little spot on this huge white piece of paper. Now, oftentimes we start out in the morning great with our morning devotion, thinking about the Lord, thinking about heaven. But man, the, by the time lunchtime comes, rolls around, there, there's that black spot again. We're consumed by our problems. Not only that, we, we face the distractions of this world, my flesh, and what the devil wants to throw away. 
So there is this constant battle going on within our lives that, that, that the enemy you know, wants me to think about the spot, but God wants us to think about the, the whiteness. So all this, those things make it a constant challenge for us to set our minds on the things above, not on the things there. So how do we do it? How do we set our minds on the things above? Let me give you three suggestions to do that. Number one, worship. You know, worship has a way of turning our hearts heavenward. Oswald Chambers said this, worship is giving God the best he has given you. It's showing reverence to God. It's an active, adoring response uh, where we declare his worth. To worship means we simply bow down and we pay homage to God. Over in Zechariah chapter 14, you don't need to turn there, but there's an interesting verse about worship there, a few verses. It says this, and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. What this is talking about, when the Lord comes back to, to establish his kingdom, he sits on his throne in the city of Jerusalem during the millennial reign of Christ. All the people will be invited, they'll be exhorted to come to the Jerusalem to worship and keep the feast of the tabernacles. They're invited to come, but it's not mandatory. Now, people can say, well, we're not interested to go into Jerusalem to, to worship the Lord. We're going to stay in our own region. But here's what's going to happen. They're going to get dried up. There'll be no rain. It'll be barren, the word says. I think about uh, Michael, David's wife, when she mocked David in his expression of worship, that she was barren for the rest of her life. And that, Now, I bring this up because I understand the importance of worship. God wants to radically rain down on us during worship. He desires to change our perspective, to prepare our hearts for the Word of God to be taught through worship. Worshiping together has a way of uniting our hearts. We're told this in Second Chronicles five thirteen to 14 Indeed, it came to pass when the trumpeters and singers were as one, to make one sound to be heard in praising and thanking the Lord, and when they lifted up their voice with the trumpets and cymbals and instruments of music, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endures forever, that the house, the house of the Lord, was filled with the cloud, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. I mean, there is something that happens when we gather together as a church and everyone is worshiping the Lord and you hear singing praises to the Lord. Have you ever been in a, in a very large group, you know, maybe two or three thousand people that are all worshiping the Lord? It'll blow you away. See, we talk about the Lord inhabiting the praises of His people, and He does. Our hearts are turned towards Him when we worship. Our eyes are on Him. It doesn't matter who's up here leading worship. If there's no worship leader at all, just have songs playing through the system. You know, it's our hearts, voices joining together in praise and worship. It's all about God. Or at least it should be. That's what worship is about because it's good for us to worship. We're told in Psalm 147, 1, Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant and praise is beautiful. But let me say this. We just shouldn't worship Him at, at, at church. If we're going to set our mind on things above, then our hearts should always be in that place of, of worship. Paul writes this in Ephesians 5, verse 18 and 19, And do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I mean, there should be worship music playing in your home, in, in, in our cars, on our computers, whatever device you have. 
And if you have devices, then you should be singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord. Because it's at that point that no matter what's going on in our lives, our hearts are turned towards Him. So when we worship the Lord in song and praise, that sets my mind, that sets my affections on things above. The next thing, prayer does the same thing. Through prayer, we set our minds on things above. You know, all over this world, people are dealing with this coronavirus, some very differently than we do. And I don't know if you heard about this. I read this yesterday. A report from India of a Hindu group that hosted a cow urine drinking party Saturday to drink cow urine in hopes to ward off the coronavirus. Now, the cow is very sacred to Hindus, and some believe that drinking cow urine has medicinal purposes. No, thank you. Give me the virus. I mean, maybe you heard about the Italians on Nil Cavuto Live. He reported that the Italians have been breaking out in song all across the country in an apparent attempt to cope with the cabin fever created by the coronavirus lockdown imposed by the Italian government. I don't know what song they were singing. I don't know. When the virus hits your eye, like a big pizza pie, that's amore. I, I, I don't know. It could be. <laughs> the program showed these Italians standing on balconies and, 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 you know, peeking out the windows, singing to one another. You know, Disney, besides shutting down their parks, the Walt Disney Company announced on Friday this surprising news that they were going to release the movie Frozen 2 on video early an attempt to bring, you know, families in hibernation mode some fun and joy during this challenging period. Wow. Can't wait. <laughs> a little bit of sarcasm there. <laughs> what about our country? What about our country? I am so blessed that our President Trump has called today a national day of prayer. We have been called to pray. I mean, for all the bad tweets that he throws out there, here was the best one ever uh, at real Donald Trump. It is my great honor to declare Sunday, March 15th, as a national day of prayer. We are a country that throughout our history has looked to God for protection and strength in times like these. No matter where you may be, I encourage you to turn towards prayer in an act of faith. Together we will easily prevail. You know, that's exactly what God's Word tells us we should be doing. To pray. And this is amazing, and, and, and this verse, it's come up a couple of times, but, but it's Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. I, I read it again. Here's what it says. When I shut up heaven, and there's no rain, or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. I think we can apply this verse to our lives this way. When there are no supplies in the grocery store, we pray. When there are locusts devouring crops, we pray. Do you know that right now, hundreds of billions of locusts are swarming through, hold on a second, are swarming through uh, uh, parts of East Africa and South Asia. And they say it's the worst uh, swarm infestation for a quarter of a century threatening crops and livelihoods. It says that at least 20 million people are at risk as governments and scientists race to control these insects. When locusts devour the land, pray. Where there is pests among my people, that definition of pestilence is a, is a fatal disease. It's where a, a fatal disease, or a fatal virus, what are we to do? Pray. 
If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. We know that this verse was meant for Israel, but I think we can apply it to God's church. May we, as God's church, make today a day of prayer. As we humble ourselves, as we turn from our wicked ways, may we pray for an end to this virus. Pray for a vaccine. Pray for calmness to sweep through our land. May we pray for those who are infected, praying for one another, praying for ministry opportunities, praying even that God would be glorified even in this. That's how we set our minds on things above. It's through our worship. It's through prayer. And I would say the greatest way to set our minds towards heaven, and that is by being in God's word, number three. The late pastor Chuck was asked in an interview three years before he went home to be with Jesus, how does he handle when life gets stressed out and it gets him stressed out and he gets overwhelmed with the things of this world and, and all that's going on? To which Chuck replied, I don't. I don't get stressed out. I don't get overwhelmed. I just get up each day, spend time in God's word, and life doesn't stress me out. You know, the one thing I remember about the man that God used to bring me to the Lord is that whenever there was a crisis in the world, and he would get up to talk about it, you knew that everything was going to be okay. That's all is well, that God is still on his throne. Why? Well, because what came into Pastor Chuck also came out. He was a man of God's word. He trusted in the Lord. He trusted in what the Lord had to say. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How do we have perfect peace? How can we set our minds towards heaven? By taking in God's word. Being in God's word. Studying God's word. Psalm 119 verse 104 through 107 says, Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I have sworn and confirmed that I will keep your righteous judgments. I am afflicted very much. Revive me, O Lord, according to your word. Or Psalm 119, verse 165. Great peace of those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble. So knowing our home is in heaven, we keep our mind set on the Lord by worship, prayer, and the study of God's word. Things will work out. One author writes, When we are consumed with the reality of heaven, Christ is free to consume us on earth. Now, point number two. Live knowing our God can take us home at any moment. Look at verses two through four. Paul writes, Set your mind on things above, not on things on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. The ultimate surprise, the ultimate surprise that, that we may find in our lives is that Jesus may return for us at any moment. At any moment. He promised to come and resurrect the dead, and when he does, he will rapture the believers who are alive at that time. The Bible always presents this coming of the Lord for his churches as eminent, that it could be at any moment. There's a website called Rapture Ready, and it's a kind of a prophetic website, and it has, you know, catches up on things going on prophetically. I think it would make a great bumper sticker or t-shirt. Rapture ready. Are you rapture ready? Paul says that we need to be and we need to realize that we are dead to this life. Being ready for the next means we're dead for this life. He says in verse 3, For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's a focus of Paul's heart here. He kept reminding the church in Colossae that they died and they were raised. 
Listen to how Paul writes this in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 6 verses 6 and 7. We know that our old sinful selves are crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin for when we died with Christ we were set free from the power of sin. And then he goes on in verses, uh, chapter 7 verse 4. So my dear brothers and sisters, this is the point. You died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. And now you are united with the one who raised from the dead. As a result, we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God. At the cross, you died with Jesus and became freed from sin. That is, you were set free from the penalty and the power of sin. And as long as you are on this earth in your unredeemed physical body, though we must deal with the presence of sin. But if you believe by faith that you died with Jesus, if you believe that Jesus has given you all power to resist temptation, then you can understand that you are dead to sin. And we can overcome any sin in our lives by yielding ourselves to the Holy Spirit rather than to our flesh. That's why the Scriptures plainly teach, put to death the old things that that once lived within us. I think too often, we, you know, we don't put them to death. We've just kind of wounded it here and there. Put to death the fear. Put to death the worry and walk in faith. Think of it like this. A temptation to sin presents itself, but you are dead to sin. And a dead person cannot sin. Neither can you if you're walking in your spirit rather than your unredeemed flesh. Paul says, at the cross, you died with Jesus and became dead to the law. It means that instead of trying to live according to God's principles of God's outward law, you're now enabled to live by the the power of His inward love. And then again in verse 3, Paul says, your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is an interesting word, interesting phrase. The word hidden is used as as a buried treasure. What this is telling us is that Jesus also is looking something to look forward to in heaven. See, we've looked at what we are looking forward to for for heaven. I mean, a mansion that God's prepared for us. We're looking for uh, new bodies. We're looking for, you know, uh, our loved ones that we can spend time with. Best of all, we're looking for Jesus. Well, what this verse is saying is that Jesus is looking forward to us coming to be with him. I mean, think about that. He has, has you to look forward to. You are his treasure. The Lord can't wait, to, to borrow an earthly expression, to bring you to heaven, to bring us with Him, to show us off to His Father. In fact, Ephesians 5.27 and Jude uh, 1.24 were told that we are be presented in heaven. Whole, blameless, and perfect thanks to our Lord. This is also a strong statement about our security as a believer. Your life is hidden in Christ. Your security, your salvation is secure. Finally, look at verse 4. He says, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What a promise. When Christ comes back for his church, we will immediately be with him. And I love that Paul summarizes his whole teaching by saying, Christ, who is our life. Now, that's a description that can be taken in many different ways. Christ, who is our life, reminds us that we have eternal life with Jesus Christ. Christ, who is our life, reminds us that we have Jesus living in us by the Holy Spirit and now can live in His power. Christ, who is our life, reminds us that we are living forward to the, looking forward to the time we find ourselves in heaven and eternity. Christ, who is our life, reminds us that nothing and no one can satisfy us. Everything and everyone must be subordinate to Him in order for us to live life to the fullest. And finally, Christ, who is our life, reminds us that no matter what happens on this earth, 
Christ is still on his throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords in our lives. And he'll protect and he'll watch over the citizens of his kingdom. You see, as we close, we see that Jesus was everything to Paul. And he wanted Jesus to be everything to the Colossians. He wanted them to be everything, him to be everything to the Ephesians, to the Galatians, to the Romans, to the Thessalonians. He wanted Jesus to be everything to the, to, to the Philippians, to the Corinthians, to the Springfieldians, to the Ozarkians, to the Nixaeans, to the Republicans, and the Democrats as well, I guess. Including you and me. Jesus is to be everything to us. So he reminds us to live with a sense of his imminent return. And he makes it so clear, and the, the, Paul makes it so clear under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 4 when he says, When Christ also will appear with him in glory. That word when there actually means whenever. Whenever Christ, who has given us eternal life, appears, whenever that moment is. And that moment, in that twinkling of an eye, understand, it, His return is always imminent. No man knows the day, the hour, but this you do know, He's coming back, and I believe very, very soon. On a side note, for some of you prophecy buffs, maybe you saw this, I find this very interesting, I saw this yesterday on, on, in the news, that, that the Russian President Vladimir Putin has formally asked the country's constitutional court to approve an amendment that could allow him to remain in power for another 16 years. Biblical prophecy, Ezekiel 38, speaks of a tyrant by the title of a man named Gog, from Magog, from that area in the last days that will decide to come down with a number of other Islamic nations to attack Israel, which God will supernaturally intervene, and five-sixths of this Russian-led coalition will be wiped out. I'm not say, saying Putin is God. I'm just saying it's very interesting that Putin asked his con- country's constitutional court to approve an amendment that could allow him to remain in power for the next 16 years. I look at that and, and everything else that's going on in this world and, and I say Jesus is coming back very, very soon. You know, there's nothing more motivating to stay, for us to stay away from sin than to know and believe that Jesus could return at any moment. You, you want to be rapture ready. I've said this many, many times before, and you probably know what I'm going to say. I, I, I do not want to be in that place of arguing with my wife, arguing with my kids, and, oh, I can't believe that you did something like that. And, oh, I'll never, and all of a sudden be raptured in the presence of the Lord. <laughs> you were saying, Tom, uh, I, 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 uh. now, the imminent return of Jesus for you is often, and for me, it's often put in romantic terms. As a groom, you know, coming for her bride, the church. And in the same way, you never know when your beloved may show up unexpectedly or leave you a note or bring you some flowers or a gift or in some other way, just surprise you. Just, oh, just, I, I love you. You know, you look at a, at a young couple in love when we tend to think, well, they, they have all their priorities all wrong. They spend so much time, you know, thinking, talking about each other and planning for the wedding that they overlook the everyday activities. And we joke about them and say, well, you know, once they get married, once they get into the real world, then the honeymoon is over. I think too often Christians start to live as if our honeymoon with Jesus is over when in fact we haven't even gotten through our engagement yet. Our entire time on this earth from the moment we get saved is to be thought of as an engagement. There's not to be any sense of settling down in this world. 
Jesus is coming to resurrect the dead in Christ, to rapture his church, uh, those who are alive remain, and to start the honeymoon. And he says that when he comes, then you also will appear with him in glory. That means immediately you'll be glorified. If you died prior to his coming, you'll be raised into a glorified body. If you're alive at his coming, you'll be changed and transformed into a glorified body in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. So I have to ask, are you living today as if the Lord could return at any moment? Again, I believe as things look right now, he could return at any moment. There's nothing preventing him. So what do we do? We set our minds on things above, not on things on the earth. Again, the world, our flesh, the devil, they're working against us on that. Life comes at us hard with sorrows and sicknesses and and our own failures. None of that changes Jesus. He's still coming for you at any moment. So you might as well live now as if you're already in heaven. Your home's waiting for you there. Your citizenship is there. Your city is there. Your wealth is being stored up there. Those you love are already there. And the Lord will be there forever. So set your mind on those things above. Now for some of us, or maybe most of us, that means occasionally hitting that reset button. You know, I've, I've switched over to Mac computers, but, but for years I've had, you know, PCs that, you know, IBM, Microsoft-based. You know, and you want to hit that. It freezes up on you and you get that dreaded blue screen. And so what do you do? You hit that, that Control-Alt-Delete. Okay, Control-Alt-Delete. I still remember that. And, and uh, things aren't working right. It's slowed down. It's frozen. Hopefully it reboots and everything starts right back up again. You get computing again. Listen, if your mind isn't on things above... Take control off this delete. It's time to reset it. If you're living in sin and not in victory, hit the reset button. If you're living in fear and not faith, reset. Again, I've heard people say, well, you're so heavenly minded, you're no earthly good. I think it's the other way around. Far too many people are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. If that's you, hit the reset button. Start living knowing our home is in heaven. Living knowing that our God could take us there at any moment. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. But as believers, we are guaranteed eternity in heaven with our Savior and our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you ready? Is your mind on heaven? Finally, if you're here this morning and you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you're listening to this via FaceTime, Facebook uh, Live, and you don't know the Lord Jesus, I would encourage you to give your life to Him today. So you have that hope. You have that promise of heaven. But more than that, you have your sin forgiven. You're born again. I encourage you, make that step today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you for your word and the promises that uh, you give to us, Lord. And I do pray, Lord, if there's anyone that is yet to commit their heart and life to you, they're not born again this morning, I pray, Lord, that they would make that commitment today. That they would say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it and I commit my life to you today. Lord, we know your word says if they do that, Lord, if they confess your sins, you are faithful, you are just to forgive them of their sin and cleanse them of all unrighteousness. Lord, we so need that. Even as your people, Lord, we want to humble ourselves and pray and seek your face. Lord, turn from our wicked ways. Your word promises that you'll hear from heaven, that, that, that you'll, we'll, you'll forgive our sin and you'll heal our land. Lord, that is our prayer for today. Lord, would you heal our land? Would you take away this virus, this sickness, Lord? 
Lord, would you keep us safe from it? Lord, would you keep those that are that are highly susceptible to it? Lord, would you keep them safe? And Lord, we pray for each other, Lord, that you'd give us a peace that passes understanding as our mind are set on you. Lord, we pray also that you would give us your church uh, ministry opportunities. Lord, that we might be able to share and comfort those that are living in fear and those that are living in worry. And Lord, even in this, we pray, Lord, that you would be glorified in all that we do. Thank you, Lord, for, for our country. Thank you, Lord, for the leadership of our country. We pray, Lord, that there would be the, the vaccine, the cure to this virus. We pray for wisdom for our president, our vice president, and those in leadership. Lord, we pray for calmness in our country. And thank you, Lord, for your love, your grace, our protection, our Savior. Thank you for being our Lord and King. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.